one. What's good, everyone? Coach D here, the Shift Method Podcast. Hope you're all having a great day. This is going to be coming out. This is podcast episode number 37 coming out on February 27th. And with me today, I have someone, you know, we actually just got acquainted kind of midpoint last year. Didn't have too much time to speak together, um, but I know him through a friend and he has a really, really awesome uh, company and initiative that he's going to talk about. Um, so I'm really excited to kind of hear a little bit more about him, kind of his origin story and more about his business. And it will be a great topic for all of you listeners out there to kind of check out. And so we're going to talk to Brendan. Brendan, can you just introduce yourself to the people briefly for me? Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, Damon. Uh, my name is Brendan Aylward. I'm out in Massachusetts here, um, and I work as a gym owner, strength and conditioning coach, um, as well as, I guess you would consider it an educator as a, um, a course that I teach, um, involved in some research specifically catered to improving health outcomes in individuals with disabilities, uh, cerebral palsy specifically is what I'm most interested in. Um, but uh, yeah, I work in kind of the intersection of disability services and fitness. Um, and my uh, career has kind of revolved around finding ways to make fitness more accessible for people of all abilities. So I love it. I love it. Yes. I first heard about Brendan when we were talking, I was talking to one of our mutual contacts, my good friend, Katie Hoff, who used to work at USF. And, um, you know, Campus Rec, it, it does a lot of amazing things. But one thing that they really focus on the fitness space is definitely making sure fitness is inclusive for everyone. And so she mentioned to me about Brendan and this course, which we'll talk about here in a little bit called AdaptX. And I read about it. I'm like, this sounds like an amazing thing to do, uh, so much so that I signed up for it myself because I'm hoping to gain some awesome skills from it. Um, but of course, before we get into that, this is a fitness-based podcast. So I got to know about you, Brendan, and what you do. So can you kind of just like go into like how you got to fitness, like what your fitness origin story is? Yeah. I mean, I think I didn't start really training or lifting until last couple of years of high school. Um, really took a liking to it pretty quickly. Um, but I went to college for special education initially. Um, I was first introduced to Special Olympics and Best Buddies, a couple organizations that some people may be familiar with um, during high school. And uh, really thought that my career was going to take me back to the high school that I went to as a special ed teacher. Uh, I kind of wanted to work with those kids that I was working with through Special Olympics. Uh, but about halfway through college, um, kind of decided that um, wanted something a little more active, uh, wanted something outside of a classroom uh, with a little more freedom uh, than the uh, very like structured and rigid special ed curriculums. Um, so about sophomore year of college is when I came up with the concept for my gym. Uh, I wanted to create an inclusive strength and conditioning facility where my Special Olympic athletes could train alongside their peers. Um, and there wasn't really any model to follow. Uh, I'm not too familiar with other for-profit strength and conditioning facilities kind of founded on the same uh, precipice of like training people with or without disability simultaneously. So um, basically those last two or three years of college, I really just immersed myself in as many experiences as possible. Um, I was in Boston, but commuting an hour to work with the high school's uh, basketball and hockey teams for free as their strength and conditioning coach, just to kind of get some experience, uh, learn what I could. Um, and those 
first clients uh, eventually would become paying clients. And I thought I kind of slowly build up my membership base. I was going to people's houses to train them, uh, young adults with autism, um, et cetera. And uh, just try to build up some career capital and kind of figure out uh, what I needed to learn, what I need to improve upon. And then one year after I graduated college, I spent one year as a, a special ed aide at a uh, middle school. And then I spent that year kind of coming up with the business plan and the structure for the gym. And seven years ago was when I opened uh, Unified Health and Performance, which is my uh, strength and conditioning facility here in Massachusetts. That is awesome, man. It always makes me happy to hear like a success story in the fitness space, because as someone who has a fitness business uh, without a physical space, though, but just in general, like it's hard, man. It's hard to yeah. survive. And I know Boston, although you have a really cool niche, it's probably another area that's I would imagine is quite heavily saturated in the fitness industry. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it's always a cool testament to hear that you were able to kind of get into the market, find something that made you valuable to the community and then look at you still thriving and being out yeah. there. I mean, for better or worse, I'm probably about an hour outside of Boston now. Uh, okay, gotcha. A lot of people initially were like, oh, you should be close to the city, like <laughs> Children's Hospital. You have all these different organizations that are kind of based in Boston. I'm kind of out in the suburbs in the middle of nowhere. Um, but it allowed me to, I guess, kind of have ownership of this market um, and just kind of, I was already immersed in this community. Um, I was relatively well known amongst the school and um, all that stuff from my involvement with Special Olympics and stuff. But yeah, like you said, it's it's a tough sell to convince the people. Like I probably spent two or three thousand hours um, of community service with Special Olympics and strength and conditioning uh, for the high school, and it's tough to convince someone that like sometimes that's what it takes to uh, to build what can become something more profitable. But I was fortunate, I guess that. I was living at home and commuting to college for a mm -hmm. portion of that time, working full time as a, a behavioral therapist and kind of subsidizing my lifestyle that way. Um, and I know not everyone has that um, that privilege of being able to do things for free and uh, such, but it was integral to uh, my success, I think. Yeah. And, you know, I haven't heard an easy story yet for those who you know made the business. So, you know, if there is one out there, you know, I'd, I'd be happy to hear that, too, mm -hmm. you know, from all angles. But yeah, it sounds like the 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 eighty hour work weeks, the dual major in college. That all sounds like it's part of the plan at some point. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think so. And I mean, I wouldn't glorify like the amount that I work. Um, I I don't view it as a badge of honor or something impressive. In many ways, it's actually unimpressive that I still have to work so much to maintain my businesses. But um, I think I've been consistently good at what I do for the last seven or eight years, instead of like working in small bursts, like I work in some capacity every day. And I think kind of stacking those bricks is what kind of helped the business become um, successful. But I don't think I would really consider it a, a significant success until it runs a little less of my life until I'm kind of not here all the time. And uh, we're working towards that. But I think a lot of people set out to uh, run a business and the business ends up running you. But <laughs> yeah, I've heard that too, man. I've heard yeah. that too. But we do it for for the people, right? We do it all for all for a good cause, man. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. Well, thank you for a little bit of backstory. And yeah, like I still, you know, fitness spaces that I always hear about and I get like, you know, various emails and I hear it's all different gyms across the country. I haven't really heard of any gym that does something like what you do. Um 
the closest thing I know, and I, I'll plug this gym. I actually learned about it not too long ago. They're actually kind of close to me, which is funny. Um, they are a strength and conditioning facility. I believe it's called Barwis. And they do some like, I believe, neurological rehab for like injury, but I don't think they work with special needs. So that is something that is very unique that I have not heard anyone else do in the community. Yeah. Barwis Methods seems like a really cool facility. I think they have three or four locations. Um, they do have their neurological, I think it's called neurological reengineering program, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure they also have a foundation that they kind of launched as a branch of their business to support individuals with disabilities training. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure it's the main component of their business, but in the same way that like a lot of organizations that serve people with disabilities are nonprofits um, and there are socioeconomic reasons for that, that kind of support that business model. But I was very keen on trying to demonstrate how inclusion was like a beneficial and a profitable business decision and not just something you do because it's the ethical and the goodwill decision. I wanted to kind of demonstrate how it can be an integral part of a business growing. Um, So of course there's some athletes that aren't able to afford the training and we can offset that cost by training other populations and just effectively running a healthy business that allows us to kind of support those individuals that need a little more uh, financially. Uh, But I think in the same way as like, I think Barwest trains a lot of high school athletes and college athletes and adults. And I'm sure in that same way that allows them to kind of cater to the individuals with disabilities as well and kind of touch on both populations. But um, yeah, I, they're, uh, they look like a fantastic facility and they have a really nice and uh, large facilities and uh, yeah. something, for, something for me to kind of, I guess, maybe aspire to is, uh, is getting to that level, but bigger facility, bigger headache sometimes. So that's also true. Yeah. I'm hoping to check them out over spring breaks coming up in a couple of weeks. I'm hoping to stop by. Cause I, yeah, I keep seeing them online. It's a gorgeous facility and literally like down the street from like yeah, where yeah. I grew up. Cool. Yeah. It's so close to me. Cool. Um, so definitely we'll check that out. And uh, yeah, but like you said, like you being one of the first people in this space, you know, it also gives people some of the courage to maybe also try to mimic that business model. Right. Uh, so hopefully it, it inspires others to be like, Hey, maybe, you know, at once I thought this was impossible. And even though it's something that like ethically, morally and like passionate wise, I want to do, I just never saw someone do it. And now that you've seen someone do it, kind of like the representation side of things, now that I see other people doing it, it encourages people to want to go out and, and make great things happen. Yeah. And I mean, I won't pretend that I have the answers or the perfect <laughs> model or like, or the perfect model, but I think sometimes people will claim to be inclusive, but it's like just training people with disabilities in isolation, or it's maybe mm-hmm. worked with a couple athletes with disabilities at some point in, in your past. And what we've really worked on, and it was actually somewhat improved through the process of kind of reorganizing our gym with COVID, but we were trying to get to a point where we didn't differentiate between populations. And I mean, of course, there's like some considerations, like maybe someone sensory need wise needs a quieter environment. Um, But we were trying to get to the point where whether you had a disability or not, you were able to access the gym at whatever time is most convenient for you. And of course, like we run a semi-private model, so it's a little more hands-on. So there are some considerations, like I need to make sure we have ample staff um, for safety and just for the efficacy of the programs. Um, but we we try to make it to the point where it's not like disability classes, high school classes, mm-hmm. college classes. It's like all athletes. Athletes, um, yeah. That, yeah, but like, like that semi-private model is kind of essential for that. 
because we could have 12 athletes training. Three of them could be college athletes. Two could be in a wheelchair. A couple could have Down syndrome and they're all doing their own program. Mm -hmm. So they can kind of seamlessly coexist. It's a similar structure, but obviously catered to whatever their ability and their goals are. Uh, but it allows them to train simultaneously uh, because it's kind of under the same systems and stuff. So um, we found it to be um, pretty essential to kind of have that semi-private model. Whether some people didn't join our gym because of the presence of people with disabilities, I don't know. Uh, I'm sure there's still going to be um, some naive people that have certain preconceptions about disabilities and they might see my gym as the disability gym and because it's hard to market to yeah, all yeah. It's hard to market to all the different populations, but um, so I don't know if people shied away from my gym because they assumed that we just worked with disabilities or maybe that wasn't an environment they felt was best suited for them. But um, I guess I'll never know because those people don't really reach out to me, but <laughs> it's definitely hey. something to consider in terms of how you market. Uh, yeah. you do, but Hey, I mean, you know, you got your target audience and, and, those who are meant to come will come right exactly right yeah so like if, if those people are they don't want to be in an inclusive environment then i guess i don't want them anyway so yeah, exactly right not not fitting the culture then that's, that's right. fine by me man and you exactly. you definitely have set the tone for your culture which is awesome yeah. and like you said you know even though obviously different skill levels and needs may apply within a semi-private session i think the overlying culture helps identify that this group can work side by side together in yeah. their session, which is really And dope. it's it's had some nice trickle down effects. Like we have some high school athletes that have become special Olympic volunteers and oh, that's uh, cool, man. Kid, kids who've gone off to college and studied exercise science, but they're kind of interested in doing something similar to what I'm doing. And even adults, like you'd be surprised how many adults haven't had any exposure to disabilities. Um, yeah. And they're kind of afraid that they're going to say something wrong or they talk to them as if they're uh, elementary age when it's a young adult with a disability just because of their cognition level. So it's been cool to kind of see how our adults uh, have become more comfortable engaging with the population. And they, I do think it's the, like you mentioned before, the representation piece, I think is an important part of making facilities more inclusive. So uh, it's not just the physical space and it's not just ADA standards and accessibility standards, but it's a uh, social emotional and um all those other aspects of um accessibility that are important so yeah i like that man big thing with me is like culture it's it's one of my tenets you know i say culture is everything it's it's our beliefs it's our actions it's why we do the things the way that we do and so it's cool to hear that you know your interactions in a fitness lens fitness is like the vehicle for what you do how it's helping sh like shift people's mindset to how they interact in life and in their community. So like that to me is like, that's, that's like the greatest win ever men is when it yeah. goes from just and that's one of like, things. Yeah. And that's kind of, I guess maybe a exaggerated saying, but like we, we sometimes will coin like rewriting the narrative on disability. So just trying to change people's expectations and um, inadvertently like i think sometimes organizations like special olympics well well intended will will sometimes market someone with a disability completing a rudimentary task and that mm. and then you see on social media everyone praising that individual and it's great like it's good to see people kind of demonstrating that support but at the same time it's like you know that it's lowering their expectations for someone mm -hmm. with a disability so we always want to demonstrate how like 
this population can achieve great things when they're kind of challenged appropriately uh, and when they're placed in the right environment. So I think how we um, how we uh, express disability and how we present it to the public matters a lot. So that's why we're just hired someone to kind of help with our social media and our, our marketing and uh, making a strong push for that. Um, just to, like you said, hopefully change the public's perception of it. So. I love that, man. And, and thank you for providing that background. Now, you've kind of touched on a lot of things about the business in a sense. Do you happen to have, if you had to like narrow down like your philosophy to like maybe a couple of sentences, right? Something that's going to be on your tombstone when when you leave this earth. What would you say is like your fitness or or business philosophy that you carry through with with what you do? Um, I don't know if I can articulate one because I guess we have like, of like the business of my gym and then AdaptX is like the educational branch of it. And they're kind of two separate entities. But so I guess maybe if I'm just kind of providing a synopsis of like all of my work, um, it's reducing barriers to uh, consistent physical activity um, for individuals of all abilities by kind of creating inclusive environments uh, where they can be appropriately challenged and supported. So um, yeah, I guess i it's been tough. And sometimes when I, I, I know when I say something like this, it sounds like it's just being like noble, but it's like, I don't really view working with people with disabilities as like anything super unique. Um, it just, it meant so much and it completely changed my life personally. It seemed like it did more for me than I was doing for them as a coach. And I kind of just continue that. Like it, fills my cup it keeps me yeah. motivated like I'm seven seven years strong of working every day and I don't feel like I have any intention of stopping and I think sometimes I think that's kind of rare for people to be able to withstand that level of um, consistent work without kind of ever fluctuating mm -hmm. uh, but I kind of attribute it to the fact that like the relationships that I have with my clients um really fill my cup and really motivate me to keep working. So, um, yeah, that definitely didn't answer your tombstone question, but, uh, <laughs> I don't hey, know, moving I, barriers, I don't know if I can, yeah, I don't know if I can sum it up in a, in a two sentence. Nah, that's okay. I think that was, I think that was articulated beautifully. It's, it's the removal of barriers that anyone and everyone can participate in a way that makes them successful. I, I think, I hope that every coach has that at least idea. If it's yeah. not like their motto or mantra, it's like their idea that like guides their fundamental principles when they train and coach people. Because ultimately what I always say to my young coaches, I, I do an ACE prep course. Um, and so we talk, we always get to like the, the psychology and the rapport section of like working with a client. And I always tell them like, we are coaches, we are educators, but ultimately what we're working to do. And it's, I know there's a big debate on like, can you change behavior and in that kind of aspect, but ultimately we're trying to leverage our client's ability to change their behavior because you can have all the knowledge, you can have all the AdaptX courses, you can do X, Y, and Z and, you know, have the alphabet behind your name and certifications and degrees. But if I cannot work to help people change their behavior through removing barriers, identifying ways to regulate their time, ways to enjoy their training, if I can't give them those tools or show them those tools and strategies, you're not going to be able to help them get active. They're not going to have the resources to be active because they are not going to change their behavior. And so ultimately, I love that because that is ultimately what you're trying to do is remove those barriers and help them change the behavior. Yeah. And I think like a lot of our athletes with disabilities, um, 
you have the prevalence of secondary health conditions of cardiovascular mm-hmm. disease, metabolic uh, syndromes that are that are probably directly tied to the lack of physical activity as well as the increase in sedentary behavior. Um, and if we can kind of combat that, it doesn't have to be the perfectly periodized program. It just has to be something that gets them moving and is enjoyable enough that they want to come back. Um, Absolutely. I guess, I guess it is kind of unique that we have people with disabilities that have been training with us for six years pretty consistently and they rarely miss sessions. Um, and that's, that's, a, awesome. that's a, I mean, that's a testament to their parents as well. We're, we're fortunate to be in a, an area where a lot of these young adults are still supported by their families and, uh, or they have disability service organizations that are willing to take them to the gym. But um, I think it's, it's essential to create an environment where they can train consistently. That's another one of my gripes sometimes is <laughs> well, gym, oh, gyms will do like eight week programs um, and that's all well and good. It's well-intentioned, but if someone came to you with a specific goal of trying to lose X amount of weight or trying to improve their health, you would never be like, yeah, give me eight weeks and then you can take the rest of the year off. And so it's like, <laughs> it's like, you have to kind of, you either care about being inclusive and accessible or you don't like you got to build it into your business Absolutely. Uh, or else you're not really making a significant change. So that's a very true statement, sir. Now you talked a little bit about, and we'll get more into it in a second about your training and what you do at at your facility. What what does your current training look like? I know you mentioned briefly how you kind of got into training, and I think you mentioned earlier you might be getting ready for a run in the morning. What what are you doing? Yeah, um, I run for Team Hoyt, so it's a um, a wheelchair racing team. So Rick and Dick Hoyt kind of pioneered inclusion within endurance sports. So um, father son duo, they were the first ones to run a marathon, uh, to run the Boston Marathon in a wheelchair. Um, son or father pushing a son in a wheelchair and I was introduced to them six or seven years ago um, and I started running with them and um, so Jacob the kid that I push uh, him and I met through best buddies when I was in high school uh, and he was nine years old he was um, the younger brother of someone that I was working with through best buddies and um, became very close with him and through high school and college he spent the weekends with me so he lived with um my family on the weekends he still lives with me and my wife on the weekends now um he's back at home now uh hopefully getting ready for bed soon but uh so him and I him and I run marathons together 5k's etc um so I push him in a wheelchair and trying to qualify for the Boston marathon this spring. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So we're running the Martha's vineyard marathon, uh, on May 20th and we have to run under three hours to qualify for Boston. So okay. it's like, equates to like a six fifty mile. So, um, yeah, we've been, been working at that goal for a little bit. Um, hopefully we'll, we'll get it done. We're, we were on pace to do so last year and got a flat tire. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. so, uh, so, but it's, uh, yeah. Training's going well. So we run about 45 to 50 miles a week. And um, man, yeah. 650 mile. That's, <laughs> I did, Um, I, I have a little bit of an endurance background. Like growing up, I did like 5Ks and 10Ks. And like recently I did the the Kipchoge challenge. Did you hear about this? <laughs> Trying to run whatever his marathon pace is. 13, I think it was 13 miles per hour, miles per hour consistently. Yeah. I think I got to like 60 70 seconds and i can run that like i can hit i can hit almost 20 but like you know it's when you it's such an awkward speed it's like it's just fast enough to where it's basically a sprint but it's not slow enough to where you can kind of cruise and i was like but i mean it's crazy it's crazy to think that 
they do that for two hours straight. Um, yes. I always like, I think it's something like a lot of sports, like you don't really appreciate it unless you're in it. Like if you're no. watching golf, like you don't appreciate watching golf unless you golf or same with like, yeah, yeah. I think to a degree. So I don't think people really realize how impressive uh, elite marathoners are um, as, as athletes, but I certainly do. Cause I yeah, can do it. <laughs> well, well, very cool. And that's, you know, the wheelchair is, is, a, is a really cool element to it too, where, you know, those individuals get to participate as well. So I'll be cheering for you to be in the Boston marathons. That's Thank awesome. You. man. Now we kind of talked a lot about, you know, Adaptex, which is really cool about, about your business and your structure and all that. So overall, we know you serve the general population as well as I, I believe the term you use is adaptive athletes. So people who may have physical or cognitive limitations, what exact services do you offer to your individuals that you serve? Yeah. So we have about 250 members at my gym, um, maybe about a fifth of which have disabilities. Uh, so those other couple hundred members are a little over a hundred middle school, high school, college athletes. Um, so those are typically kids training for a specific sport uh, or a specific goal. And then general population adults, maybe uh, 65, 70 adults who are training for uh, typical general health, body composition goals, et cetera. Um, so those are kind of the the populations we serve. And we use adaptive athletes as a differentiating term just to kind of clarify what it's intended to um, to differentiate, I suppose. But um, eventually, hopefully, it gets to a point where it's not a term that's needed. Not that I mm. think it's derogatory in any way, but I think every athlete and every client has to adapt to their uh, ever-evolving situations. So uh, I'm not sure when that became the go-to term, but it's the one that's most recognizable. So um, some of those adults do group classes. We run some group classes like circuit training-based classes, but um, 75, 80% of our members are on that kind of individualized programming, semi-private model. Nice. Uh, and we have sessions throughout the day that our clients schedule. Um, so they can book various times throughout the day that are most convenient for them. And they come in and myself and my coaches and our interns, uh, will help them through those, uh, programs. So, um, large amount of my time is actually spent programming. Uh, it's mm -hmm. something that I should, uh, that I've been trying to work to streamline and hopefully, um, offload to some of our other coaches. Uh, but we're trying to find a way to systemize it a little bit better, um, but something that right now is a little bit of a bottleneck of my time, but uh, <laughs> something I really enjoy doing. I think that's the other thing to it. It's like, I've written so many at this point that it's, it's kind of like mindless work for me. And yeah, it, yeah. It's, it makes me feel like I'm getting things done. And I know that my time could likely be better spent in a more creative outlet working on some other things. So I, I recognize it as, as maybe a negative tendency for me to kind of default to programming and being unwilling to delegate it to my other coaches, because to me, it's easy. Like it's comfortable. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, something I enjoy doing, but I realized that it might not be the best use of my time um, or at least the amount of time that I put into it now. But yeah, yeah. the programming side, I, I agree with, I love writing them so much. So and so I know one day you'll hopefully have my own facility or my own business in that regard. You know, I know I'm going to want to work with young coaches and let them take over, but I'm like, oh, I love programming so much. I just want to yeah. keep it. I got to keep it in some capacity, man. <laughs> I'm like, I mean, I'm somewhere in between. Like, I really like all the nuances and the intricacies of programming. I'm somewhere in between that and 
the environment and the effort and the intent that you drive matters more than the nuances of the programming, especially with like a lot of the kids that we're working with, like mm -hmm. middle school athletes, <laughs> like don't need obviously super no. complex programs. Like in some situations, like I would prefer if they were just going off for free play. Like when I grew up, it's back in my day like it was just like we were out, we were outside like all day like yeah, playing yeah. Sports and various things and but i recognize that that's not really how the the world is structured anymore like so many activities for the kids are, are a lot more structured so in some scenarios i kind of wish that those younger athletes just had other outlets to be active but so but they come to my gym obviously i love having them at the gym and i try to make it as as engaging and beneficial as possible. And, but I think we do a pretty good job with the, um, with the youth athletes. Um, but I think there's other, other activities that are beneficial for, for kids as well. But, um, the programming is something that I think I'll always have a, a fondness for, but it's something that I should probably work to, to systematize and automate a little better within our coaching staff. So. Now, do you have like local contracts with like high schools in the area? Or are these kids that are coming like one-on-one -on -one just because the parents heard about you? Like what is, how does that relationship work? Yeah, it's a, it's a private sector, I guess. So we have no real affiliation with the high school um, outside of like, I kind of started doing some volunteer work over there with a couple of sports programs. And uh, it's kind of just grown through word of mouth, um, kids bringing friends, social media, et cetera. Uh, so yeah, no, no specific relationships with schools. There's, um, there's a couple of disability service programs, um, residential programs nearby that will send uh, group classes a few times a week. Uh, so they come and that's, I guess, an affiliation with an outside organization, but the majority of our members, their parents, their family are paying for their memberships. So. Gotcha. Very cool. Cause yeah, I've seen like some training and conditioning, like privatized training and conditioning facilities. They'll like contract with a local university be like hey you bring x number of teams we do this or sometimes athletes from the university will just come on their own free will kind of thing so i always like to hear those different models that yeah maybe that's maybe that's an area that i'm kind of missing the boat on um but it hasn't really been something sometimes it's i found like if i i used to do a lot of groups like when i was first starting because it seemed like a good way to get a lot of people in um but it was tough to kind of cater to like if you have an entire football team or something, sometimes it's tough to cater to the wide range of abilities. And yeah. uh, I've seen what high school strength and conditioning groups sometimes look like. And it's it's not exactly, and it's not to knock it, but it's not exactly what I want my programs to look like. So I know what uh, you mean. <laughs> yeah. So, so being able to run like kind of a, a private individualized option um, seems to be a little better for, for our situation. And I don't know if... I can't really recall if it might have kind of been spearheaded with COVID, like when the restrictions made us only able to mm. train four or five people at a time. Like we had right. a really we really had a really small facility and it was like everyone had to be six feet apart and we're setting up like these ridiculous stations and it, so we could only fit four or five people at a time. Uh so it was like hour sessions all day, like five kids at a time, like here's your program, like stay in your corner. Uh <laughs> here's a couple, here's a couple dumbbells and a kettlebell. And um so it was almost like we moved away from large groups and towards like the semi-private model, kind of already trending that way. But I think COVID almost like cleaned up some of our systems to a degree. Yeah, that's that's a very true point. Now, of course, big thing we of course got to dive a little bit deeper into because I know you've mentioned it a couple of times here, Brennan, is of course the Adapt X courses. Uh, this is something that 
I recently signed up for. And I'm excited to really get into that content on my own time because I know it's going to be an awesome thing to have because, you know, in my own personal experience, you know, working at a rec center and working, you know, privately, I've come across individuals where I can definitely say like, you know, and, and maybe it's a, a bad stereotype. I'm like, if I had an individual with a physical or cognitive limitation, am I comfortable working with them? And so I'm very excited to take that course and hopefully get some skills that I can not only market to work with those individuals, but then ultimately work to break down those stigmas of like, no, these people are just like everyone else, man. Everyone has limitations that we can work through. And now I have the tools and resources to do it. So can you kind of just break down like, you know, what the Adapts X course does for, we have a lot of personal trainers that listen to this podcast. So what, what kind of value is it, does it provide for them? Yeah. So Adaptex started um, about four years ago or what has become Adaptex started about four years ago when I was initially trying to make some onboarding resources for my interns. So I got, I got practicum students from a few different universities. And uh, so we were, I was just trying to build out some content that would make that internship experience a little more beneficial, uh, kind of acclimate them to some of our systems and programming strategies before they got here. Um, and just kind of kept building to it, kept adding to it. Um, the mission through Adaptex, at least initially, was kind of the same as through my gym, which was to make fitness more accessible uh, for people with disabilities. And um, I guess the way I identified doing that was um, a little different than other nonprofits. Like a lot of nonprofits cater to the individuals with disabilities themselves. Um, I thought it might be more important to cater to the professionals and the people that can create these opportunities for the athletes. So we started kind of building out, and I say we, but I guess it was kind of a solo project, um, kind of building out a curriculum, kept adding to it um, until it became something robust enough that I thought it would be worth um, maybe selling to the masses. And I think it's something that's tough as like, uh, I guess you could call it a content creator. You can kind of always nitpick uh, your curriculum yep. and you, you can just sit on something forever and be like, oh, I'll, I'll send this out when it's ready. Um, and I'm on, it'll like, never be ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's, it's never going to be perfect. And the idea that I can create a course that encompasses every scenario and all things disability is, um, naive at best. So we, we've gone through a few iterations of it. Um, I've, I've updated it, revised the curriculum, uh, added videos to it, et cetera. But, um, what essentially the course is, is an introduction to kind of the anatomical and the cognitive and behavioral characteristics of various diagnoses. Um, but when we dive into those diagnoses, it's like, we try to keep this overarching principle of what's called the social model of disability, which is basically like an individual is not disabled by their specific impairments, but rather by environments that don't account for their differences. And mm -hmm. if we kind of keep this lens in mind as we go through, like I'll have a presentation on Down syndrome and we'll be talking about hypermobility and we'll be talking about obstructive sleep apnea and hypotonia and like all these characteristics are important, um, but they really just are intended to kind of influence your programming and your training strategies. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is to create an environment where these athletes can train consistently. So what I hope people take away from the course is a deeper understanding of disability. Kind of like you said, when you were introducing it, like I want trainers 
to see someone with a disability and not think like, eh, can I do that? Am I like, am I well equipped to work with that person? Um, so I want to be able to give people confidence to work with individuals with disabilities. I want to give them the strategies. Um, and then I guess the one, uh, maybe not the one, but one aspect that's kind of unique to my course is um, I think to a degree, it's not like other certification courses that require um, kind of built in recurring revenue streams. Like you have to complete X number of CEUs to maintain your licensure, et cetera. Like AdaptX isn't, isn't a licensure. It's not like if you're working at a commercial gym, you're probably still going to need a, a personal trainer license and you might still need liability insurance if, uh, if you're working in a private facility. But, um, what my course hopefully does is gives people the tools and then I want to continue to be involved in their development as a coach. And we have monthly live presentations on different topics. We bring in colleagues that have uh, specialties in various niches. And I just want to build out the most comprehensive uh, curriculum and educational database on all things, disability and inclusion and accessibility. So uh, that, that was kind of the intention of the course. And uh, that's where it is now. I love that, man. I, I really, you know, admire you because that is where I hope, you know, my business can eventually evolve into man is because, you know, what I always tell people is my business is called the shift method, fitness and education. And so what you're doing is like the dream of like, you have your brick and mortar spot where you're actually like, you know, doing the thing, creating the culture and actually like performing the, the necessary moves and exercises, et cetera, to get people to be fit in the way they want. But also you're training individuals to then emulate what you do and what your programming and what your mythology is, which is amazing because then it's not just stuck in your spot. It's coaches can then take the information and learn it from themselves and then work with other coaches and pass on information to them. And it just creates this beautiful, like spiderweb effect of disseminating information. And so to hear that you went from, you know, starting your spot and then you introduce this coursework and now you have like the guest speakers and everything like that is so cool to hear and so inspiring to hear. Um, and that uh, correct me if I'm wrong, this is content that can also help coaches if they have their PT certifications, this can be used as CECs for them. Yeah. 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 We have CEUs through ACE and NASM and the NSCA. So if you have a CSCS too, but um, yeah, I, I think it's a, the, the two go hand in hand. Like the goal is the goal of the course is not to certify X number of coaches. It's for X number of athletes to benefit from those coaches. So like I, I remember back when I was kind of just starting, there were a couple professors at a local university that were like really adamant on franchising my gym. And uh, I was like, oh, I, I don't know if that's really the path I want to go. And so instead, I kind of saw Adaptex as like my way of reaching people outside of my small area. Yeah. Like I, I love when I see some coach who's taken my course, like I love seeing the programs that they run. Uh, like that gives me a lot of fulfillment. And Maybe, maybe I'll connect with someone through Adaptex that wants to open their own gym and they can open another unified health and performance location. And I have all those systems in place that we built here that could help those people from afar kind of run their gym. Uh, so I think the two might go hand in hand. And that's one, one direction we kind of hope to take it in is maybe I can have other locations um, that kind of come about through the Adaptex course um, and through the coaches we get to work with. So. And now remind me, once the students go through all, all the content, the interactive side of it, they have a exam at the end. Is it is it a like a project? What is it? What does it look like? 
Yeah, there's there's um, some discussion boards and case study, multiple choice questions throughout kind of embedded in the course. Uh, and then there's a short answer final exam. I, I go back and forth on how strenuous I want to make that final exam period. Um, like I know if they demonstrate that they went through the course and they apply the strategies in the case study and they kind of answer all those multiple choices and they participate in the discussion board, like I don't want a fine, like I don't want someone that might not be a great test taker mm -hmm. to not pass the exam and think like, oh, this isn't for me. Um, and then as a result, not go on and train people with disabilities. But I don't know if like, I don't know if that's a cop out for me personally being like, I should make this exam harder. So it's, I don't know, it's kind of finding that balance. So there is a, there is a final exam, but it's kind of open-ended. Um, I review them. I have conversations with the coaches, typically email them after I, um, review their finals. Um, but yeah, I think it's, everyone kind of comes from different backgrounds. So for me to think mm -hmm. like there's only one way to apply this content is, um, is a little conceited. Like I have yoga teachers and physical therapists and occupational therapists. Like they don't all come from the same background. They don't all have that personal trainer, um, education that, that you and I may have. Uh, so I can't assume that they're gonna have the same set of knowledge that they come in with, but I like to see how they can apply the content to their specific domain. So, uh, yeah, there is a final exam, but it's a little open-ended and, if the coaches demonstrate that they completed all the content and they, they put effort into the exam and they kind of demonstrate that they can apply some of that content, then that's uh that's what gets them a passing grade. So I love it, man. And what if, if you're able to talk about it, cause I know mm -hmm. sometimes coaches got to keep things under wraps, but do you have like any future plans for Adaptex or for your gym in general, like where you see the next like evolution is for you? Uh, yeah. So I just recently incorporated Adaptex as a nonprofit. Um, so my gym, my gym's a for-profit entity. Um, this could probably be a whole nother conversation <laughs> itself. And like I mentioned before, like I wanted to demonstrate that inclusion was a profitable and a good business decision. And I still strongly believe that. So my decision to incorporate Adaptex as a nonprofit is not in any way, assuming that you have to rely on fundraising to work with disabilities, but it's more so because in our new facility here. So um, I bought a building over the summer. Uh, so we moved our gym into this uh, and we moved Adaptex into this building. And I have a few tenants uh, that also pay rent to the building to kind of uh, economically make it all work. But in the new space here, we have a research space. Um, so the Hoyt Foundation, the organization that I mentioned before, uh, helped me purchase a couple pieces of equipment here uh, and we'll be conducting research on uh, various aspects of inclusive and adaptive fitness. So kind of what I mentioned before, like reducing secondary health outcomes and people with disabilities. So um, we have a bunch of universities uh, that we get students completing their capstone projects with us. Um, and then hopefully we have uh, one of our publications is being presented at uh, CSM, which is like the big physical therapy conference yeah. this week in San Diego. So uh, I have a poster presentation next Saturday. Um, obviously, I'm not there. It's a little hard to travel with a, <laughs> a nine month old, but um, yep. <laughs> I have uh, some of our students from 
Mass College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences are out there uh, and they're going to present the poster. But yeah, so we have the research space and then the education uh, and that kind of just lended itself better to nonprofit structure. Like maybe we can get research funding, uh, grants for specific research projects we want to conduct. And um, at the heart of like my educational endeavors, like I'm fortunate that the the gym's able to subsidize my lifestyle and I can kind of work on Adaptex as a, as a passion project and haven't taken any money from it in the last three or four years. Um, I prefer to kind of reinvest it into the business and kind of help it reach more people. So um, it just lended itself better to nonprofits. I didn't really have any financial motivations and there's a lot of grants and funding available for organizations that support individuals with disabilities. So uh, yeah, so that's and kind of like I mentioned earlier, I'm hoping Adaptex will connect me with people that maybe want to open gyms and I can help them do that. So that's amazing, man. And the the research side of it, that's another cool end. So you got the strength and conditioning, the personal training, the group fitness for for athletes. You got the courses and you got the research side of things. That is that's a lot to juggle, dude. But <laughs> yeah, it sounds so exciting. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think they all go hand in hand, like I think the research is going to influence some parts of our curriculum. Um, yeah. Hopefully we can develop best practices for working with different disabilities. Um, In-house, they can like, come I, directly from you, which is the cool thing. The research yeah. directly to your content, directly to your programming with your coaches. Yeah. Like that is so cool. And it's I, maybe it's like part of it as well is like I'm, I'm somewhat academically uh, inferior uh, in that I kind of only got an undergrad degree. There was really no reason for me to get post-grad degrees going into the private sector. And I kind of like went right into work. So a part of me like really misses that I didn't get to do a master's program, et cetera. So I like, I love being immersed with these research projects because I learned so much and um, that's how a lot of the content for the course was built too. It was just me reading, combing through books and papers and trying to figure out what the best, because I was kind of like terrified that I wasn't going to provide the best services for <laughs> these people that I cared a lot about. So it was yeah. like, I think sometimes being behind the eight ball is almost advantageous because it makes you kind of uh, learn as much as possible. And I, I fortunate, I think that I kind of still have that mindset where I'm trying to learn as much as possible. So. It's a good mindset to have, man. I always tell my coaches, if you meet someone who has all the answers and says they know everything, uh, you might want to run away. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have plenty of times where I say, I don't know, and I don't know. So to hear someone in your position say it is just constant re re you know, affirmation that you know, you're know you not going to know everything and that yeah, it's and constantly it's, learning process. It's it's tough. That's one of the reasons why it makes like kind of being in a, a teaching position tough is like, I don't think I have all the answers and I don't think my course encompasses every aspect of adaptive fitness that it could just because mm. there's so much that it could cover so it's tough for me to kind of put myself as an authority figure um i really just want to kind of learn alongside the people that are taking the course um and i always open the feedback and uh finding ways to make the the course more engaging and more interactive and uh there's there's questions in the post course survey where i ask them what where I missed the boat and what content they would like to see. And I kind of, I really use that to influence the the next modules I create and the, and the curriculum that I create. So, well, Brendan, you may not have all the answers, but you have some answers. <laughs> some answers. And what answers. I will say yeah. is, you know, my, I don't know how much I've told you, but one of my, my slogan for my business is do the damn thing. Uh, it's something that Katie, it's funny enough how look how that comes full circle. <laughs> Katie heard me say it one day and I, I would say it quite often because a big issue I struggled with growing up was 
I needed everything to be perfect before I did anything. And so because I needed everything to be perfect, nothing got done. And it was like these chronic procrastination. So what I realized is make it as good as you can, put it out into the world because it will provide some benefit. And then you can always revamp and redo. And you, in fact, sir, like you are doing the damn thing. You are doing it across multiple dimensions and you are having great impact in not only your athlete's life, but also coaches you come in contact with. Yeah, I hope so. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much, man, for for taking the time. I, I really do appreciate it, especially with uh, running you got in the morning and and a young one at home. So so thank you so much again. Uh, if there's anything you want to plug at this time, and I'll be sure to put all these links down below, just let me know what you want to plug. Yeah, um, nothing really outside of the course. Um, love to answer any specific questions people have about it. Uh, happy to share kind of a preview of the content if they want to see what it looks like before they commit to anything. But um, yeah, like I said, I think it, it's more than a, I hope it's more than a certification course. Like it gets you those CEUs, but it also gets you a part of our community. And I think sometimes, like I heard somewhere that people don't sign up for courses, uh, for the content, but to kind of emulate the person that created it. And maybe if anyone wants to be in a position, uh, like I am owning a facility and stuff, like, I think I can provide value in that regard as well. So um yeah the courses it's more than just the the 18 modules uh but it's kind of those monthly presentations and the openness to to kind of touch base with me if they have any questions so yeah nope just uh the course is kind of the main thing that that i hope some people will find interest in so yes i'll be sure to put those resources down below where y'all can check out learn more about it and so if you're interested in it and potentially purchasing it you'll have the option to do so y'all know where to find me we got Instagram and TikTok. Um, by the time you're watching this, there's a good chance we'll have started reels on, or not reels, haha, shorts on YouTube. So content will be available on three platforms. That is Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So that way y'all can watch it on what is ever most convenient for all of you. That is for daily content, some fudgeucation, if you will. Of course, you know, you can go to the shiftmethod.org. We still have those custom training templates, everyone. If you, you know, are balling on a budget, you want to get some training from yours truly, uh, $80 for eight weeks of custom training templates across four different goals that we have. And of course, if you're in the local South Florida area and you want to train with me at Johnny O's Gymnasium, just click any of those take action buttons. Again, that's the shiftmethod.org. And I'll be sure to get in contact with you and we can work together. Brendan, appreciate you so much, man. You have a yeah, wonderful likewise. night. Thanks for having me. Later, everyone.